Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Hi, this is Ruben off the cheek This is William. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another five-in-a-row victory, five wins, no losses episode of the London is Blue podcast. My name is Dan. Brandon is out today enjoying some wedding festivities with his family. Not his, but a family member. But you know what? Nick is here. We are here to save the day, Nick. It is the Dan and Nick edition of the London is Blue podcast. Everybody's favorite edition of the show. Uh, and I think that's pretty clear based on <laughs> a tremendous amount of user feedback. Um, yeah, we're excited. I am also at wedding festivities in Boulder, Colorado. I'm looking up at the mountains right now. It is a, it's a delight. You know, the leaves are changing over again. I don't know if you have the uh, the same in Seattle, but it's, uh, it looks pretty great. Yeah, it is. It is transitioning to fall. The, the amber color is uh, appearing on those, those, the foliage. And uh, just like that, you know, things are falling into place with, with Chelsea at the moment. And I think Nick, the overall theme of the show today really speaks to, what you know the evolution or the kind of the changing of seasons of this team yeah i think you know chelsea have won matches in a lot of different ways this year um resiliency being the overall theme of today's show is is pretty right um the, the team had to fight through some adversity to really get to the to the finish line and i i'm going to applaud them not for doing so we we weren't sure dan if this team had a one no victory and then this year based off some of the de- uh, defensive performances that we've seen. So uh, I think uh, this is a, a very good win. I would agree with you. So on today's show, just to cover a couple of the topics we're going to get to, we're going to talk about Calum Hudson-Odoi, how impactful he is becoming, even while he is still working his way back from a significant injury. We're going to go give some praise to Alonzo for his screamer of a winner that he scored. We're going to talk about where this result ranks among the performance we've performances we've seen so far from frank lampard's blue and white army then we're also going to do a quick lightning round with some patreon discord questions from our community there but before we do that gotta get into an itunes review we have from critic and a fan five-star review talking about as beard he thinks that maybe as ph shaving nick and you know i just think maybe he wanted to join the beard gang but beard gang is where it's at uh, everybody knows that um Although I'm I'm thinking about doing something pretty radical and going mustache for November, so we'll see what 
see what happens. Stay tuned. Uh, Caesar's beard. All right. Well, that's uh, why people enjoy the fact that it's a podcast and not in video format, typically. So we'll just continue moving along. Patreon, no new your imaginations, yet. people. Use your imagination. <laughs> No new people on Patreon this week, but you know what? It was an international break, so we'll give people a little bit of a pass there. And then, Nick, before we get into the match review, last thing we got to do, we do have some promo codes still running soon from some awesome sponsors that we get to work with. A couple of quick ones. Um, World Soccer Shop, London Pod, 10% off. You know the deal. Um, so go do that, especially as you're thinking about some holiday shopping coming up. I know it's crazy to say that, as it's only the middle of October, but It'll be here before you know it. Uh, Talisman Caps, London Blue 10, promo code for 10% off, $35 or more. We'll have a new contest coming with each of those soon. Uh, we're trying to get those started and, and up and running before the end of the month. So stay tuned, and you may have a chance, Dan, to win a Mason Mount or Christian Pulisic jersey from worldsoccershop.com. Maybe. Oh, that's a, a good reason to stay tuned. But you know what? Push it aside. We are focused right now on the match review. It was against Newcastle United, the Magpies. It was a Premier League match at Stamford Bridge, October 19th, 2019. Scoreline, you know it. Chelsea won 0 Newcastle. And you know what? It was only Marcus Alonso's name, 73rd minute on the goal sheet today. The lineup, I'll just breeze through it here, Nick. Don't have to worry about it. Kepa, Aretha, Balaga, and Goal, Azplaqueta, Zuma, Tomori, Alonso made up that back of four. We had Jorginho, Mason Mount, and Ross Barkley as a midfield three. And then we had the two ahead of that with uh, William Hudson-Odoi and then Tammy Abraham up top at his loathsome. Um, Nick, this was a little bit of an interesting lineup that came out. I don't think we were maybe thinking that Barkley was going to get the nod and that kind of changed a bit of the shape. Obviously Kovacic had been out or had gotten injured during the international break, which brought a concern. Conte wasn't available. So there really was a lot of shifting that needed to occur before this match. Yeah. I, th- I think most people were curious to see if this would be like a four, two, three, one, or if it'd be a four, three, three, uh, ended up playing like a four, three, three. I'm not totally sure about, um, holistic positioning on the, on the field, but uh, Mace seemed to drop deeper. Uh, Ross was kind of in and around, kind of playing more advanced. So, yeah, I think I think it ended up being up 4-3-3 three, three and uh, was pretty effective. I think even at times it was almost like a 4-1-4-1. A four, one, four, one. <laughs> it just it seemed like, you know, Jorginho would be, a, be by his lonesome at times, and then you would have this midfield four ahead of them and then Tammy there. And it, it was very, very fluid and probably one of the most fluid lineups that we saw initially. We did get to see uh, a couple of substitutions uh, throughout the match. We saw Reese James with a Premier League debut, which is a, a huge moment for him and his young career, Nick. And you know, I think we just... He didn't get a lot of time, but uh, we want to make sure we, we recognize that because that's a, a big moment in any uh, young lad's career. That is correct. Um, <laughs> also brought on to help seal the game, showcasing that Lampard's tactics and substitutions are, are ever-evolving. And, you know, I think what was brought on for his legs and, and really to help kind of defend that lead. So I was appreciative to see kind of something different. Yeah, Kovacic comes on in uh, right before halftime to give Ross Barkley, who was injured in the opening minutes of the game, a little bit of a break. And then Christian Pulisic came on in the 64th minute for Mason Mount. Just some top-line stats as they stand. 16 shots for Chelsea to Newcastle's 5. 8 on target to Newcastle's 0. That is right, zero none. Possession, 72% to Chelsea. It's almost reading like a Mauricio Sarri line from last season. 634 passes to their 259, 87 pass accuracy to their 67. Nine fouls to their 12, two yellow cards to their one. Ridiculous. Zero red cards for each side, one offsides apiece, 11 corners to their zero. Uh, Nick, the the stats definitely uh, don't always tell the story of the game, but this clearly lines up with what, I was seeing during the match yesterday. Yeah, I mean, this this could have been a four or five nothing win. I mean, if not for Brandon's goalkeeper curse and some heroics by Dubrovka, um, you know, I think 
think Chelsea had this one in the bag. I don't, I don't think they started necessarily well. You know, the, you know, I think Frank even commented on that after the match, saying that you know the team got off to kind of a slow, methodical start, just hoping to maybe regain their uh, their sea legs a bit, to put it that way. But, uh, but I think overall, you know, the performance of the second half was clinical and was dominant and i think that's kind of where the, the stat line really gets boosted up yeah definitely an impressive second half by chelsea and I, I think the challenge really was when you look at the way that newcastle lined up with a back five and then you know the the four with the the double long staff situation the brothers in midfield and it just provided a really bit of a unique challenge where this was the team that was willing to sit back and chelsea needed some electricity needed a little bit of a spark and they got that in our first talking point here with oi 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 nick callum hudson adoy who continued to offer some electricity on the pitch today and is looking ready to start making kind of a, a more significant impact where how did you feel about his contributions in the match today as as someone who maybe was was changing it because i felt like until he started kind of running down that wing and being a little bit more creative with his output that we were really looking very flat. Yeah, I mean, I thought his performance was the best of, of any of them. Uh, I thought he played really well. Uh, I was a huge fan. Like, I, I think what you just kind of mentioned is right. Like, once we, once we really got into the match and we weren't kind of passing for passing's sake, uh, he started taking people on and started just making making the game kind of his own and i appreciated that i mean that's what we expect from a guy who makes the the kind of money that he makes and um you know i think it was good to see him kind of get his creative flair back where maybe he he was a little bit tentative in his first few appearances this year so i thought he was the best player on the pitch and, and certainly made a huge difference uh for for chelsea i mean he gave uh yedlin all he could handle uh, and more. So, you know, I think that's just uh, it's a quality performance. And then Wilhelm's on the other side, or Wilhelm's just was terrible. So, um, you know, all that being said, I think uh, I think Cal was excellent. Well, imagine De- DeAndre Yedlin has to go play for an awful U.S. men's national team and has to deal with that horror, and then comes back and then has to go up against Callum hudson Adoy in successive kind of weeks, that's probably not the best type of experience to have to run through in your mind or have to enjoy. I, I would imagine that that would be akin to, to being kicked in the nuts and then getting up and being <laughs> kicked in the nuts again. Um, not good. Well, what I will say is I what I enjoyed in watching Callum in this match, and you know, I think we had a chance to see him in some of the speed and his breakaway pace last year when we watched him and uh, during kind of the December fixtures that we were there for the what he was doing today is he was making those quick runs the interchanges he was working really well I think with Alonzo and again you know they, they we were pressing forward because there were five to seven people blocking at any given time there really was one person maybe two in Joe Linton and St. Maximin who were moving far enough in advance to really challenge us. But ultimately, everyone else was sitting back, which required Aspi getting far forward, which required Alonzo getting far forward. And the way that you know, we kind of talked about in one of the last pods, that you know Alonzo was occupying some space that Callum you know, really needed to be in as well. And I don't think that error was happening today. I think they were doing a much better job of respecting one another's position and interchanging at a better capacity this week, Nick, than maybe we had seen them the first time. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, I think everybody's kind of getting to know each other. I mean, we're only nine matches in, right? So, you know, you kind of got to look at that and say, like, yeah, there's a lot of room for improvement. Uh, I thought Asby was, again, um, relatively good today. Um, I know that say Maximin has a ton of, of speed and caused a you know a fair amount of problems in the first half uh, on some counterattacks. But you look at the way that they were interchanging and then Aspie and William having to kind of get used to each other. Dan, like to me, 
you know, William being on the right side instead of the left presents Chelsea some different types of challenges because he's not as comfortable over there. Um, so I think it just took them a while to kind of get the interchange right. But near the end of the game, it looked like it was, uh, looked like it was humming. Yeah, I, as you mentioned the interchange piece, I think the, the one thing that I'll call out on William before we kind of talk a little bit more about Callum here is just he started to change the game with those horizontal runs that he was making uh, with, with just a little bit of angle to them forward where he was, instead of passing the ball directly across, he's like, no, I'm going to drag two or three or four of you out of position before I make my next pass. And I think that was one of the key differences in what we saw in the second half from the first half is that William actually started pulling the players physically out of position versus allowing them to set then we pass it across, and then they are able to adjust quicker, uh, you know, more quickly because they're not having to do as much movement. I think that was a, a key change that I saw, and I was appreciative that William put that into into execution because not everyone was doing that in the first half. Right. I mean, his outside of the boot, you know, uh, pass that Cal was almost always open for um, was a huge part of. I think opening up the space for Aspi to get further forward or for, you know, Ross or Kovacic to kind of occupy that space on the right where William would have been. And then William kind of floating in the middle provided, you know, I think kind of like sucked the Newcastle midfield and defenders into the middle, allowing more space for Callum to kind of do some damage. So I think it all does tie together and it's a big part of Callum's performance. Well, and Callum getting the, you know, the hazard level treatment, I think almost where he's getting uh, two players kind of keeping an eye on him at all times, you know, with the right back or one of the other defenders, you know, when you look at his stats, one assist, 45 passes, 80% pass accuracy, two shots, five key passes, two big chances created, three dribbles, one, you know, he... I don't want to get into Jorginho level of assist counting that should or the the pre-assist counting, but he probably could have had two to three assists today, and I, I don't think that's out of you know outside of you know maybe a little woodwork situation, maybe a little bit of a Dubrovka being impressive in the moment. He found a way to contribute across you know all areas of the attack today, and even had one of those moments where I thought. This is what Hazard used to do, where he would just kind of know that an incisive run needed to be made, know that there was a little creativity lacking, and decided to push the fall, you know, the ball and himself forward into the box and hope that he could make something happen. And I don't think there's a lot of that, even with the attacking presence of Tammy Abraham and Mason Mount, there's not a ton of that with the end product on this team at the moment, Nick. No, I mean, it's a really good point. Like, uh, Cal, you know, we were talking in the preseason about Eden Hazard, you know, leaving and like, who's going to step up to fill his shoes? And everyone's like, oh, I think that's going to be cool to say. Like, we all kind of were, were not on that train because the, the styles were different. Cal and Eden have way more similar styles. Um, and I think that's a really interesting point. Whereas I think Pulisic reminds me more of Juan Mata, maybe. Um, who, you know, is a, much more of a distributor and uh, wants to get into space and, and make the defense kind of suck in so we can find the right pass. So I think Cal being able to take people on to create his own luck, essentially, um, is, is really interesting. And I think if he becomes more confident uh, as the season goes on, especially on, on the injured uh, Achilles, that He's just going to be a weapon. A couple other wonderful pieces about Callum here. So he is the second youngest player now to provide an assist in con- three consecutive Premier League games, assist versus Brighton, Southampton, and now Newcastle. Only Michael Owen, Nicholas, did it at a younger age than Callum Hudson-Odoi. Uh, yes, he's quite good. Yeah. <laughs> and then one of the quotes from Frank Lampard after the match is saying, Callum Hudson-Odoi was one of Chelsea's best players today. I thought he was very uh, was good, really good in terms of end product. He looked really, uh, really sharp and a good threat, and I think that sums it up perfectly, that Callum is looking to be that weapon that we need up front to be able to contribute appropriately. And again, as... Tammy hits the the woodwork this match as a couple people have opportunities for headers and just aren't able to convert them. The William, the William almost header or never going to be a header was kind of a chuckle moment for me. <laughs> Ridiculous. Like, it, 
that was one where like if you played basketball before like you go up for a rebound way too early and you don't know what to do with yourself when you're out there because the ball's not ready to come down and you're like well i guess i'm gonna kind of play with this like he got up way too early and uh dan i'm not sure if you know this but he, he is not the most uh, experienced header of the ball on our team. So that really showed through there. Well, it, w- it would have been like the times that Eden Hazard scored a header and you're just like, oh, okay. That is not what I was expecting. I appreciate it. I am, we are benefiting from it. But boy, oh boy, that does not look as comfortable as a Drogba header or John Terry header or a Gary Cahill header. You know, all of these things that yeah would be more common. But Speaking about defenders scoring goals, I think that's the perfect opportunity to transition to talking about Marcus Alonso. He was the individual who finally found a way past Bravka and all the crazy antics that guy was Spider-Manning around to do. Got to silence the booze he'd been receiving for almost the entire game every time he was touching the ball during the match. Nick, were you surprised it was Alonzo who put the winner past the Magpies and got us all three points? Uh, I, I don't think you can be surprised when he scores goals. I mean, he has a fairly uh, fairly solid goal-scoring record, Dan. I, I know you're about to dive into the stat bomb there. But, uh, you know, because Newcastle, especially in the second half, offered almost nothing going forward, they were, they were just hunkered down hoping to get away with a nil-nil draw. Uh, it allowed Alonzo and sometimes this blue equator to get really far forward. And it was interesting as we were talking about Cal earlier. I don't think that Cal has the game that he has, if not for Alonzo taking uh, a lot of overlap runs and making some dangerous runs in the box. And you know, we just know what he's capable of. Like a lot of us were hoping at some point that he would be converted to striker when we really needed one because <laughs> his, his left foot is just an absolute missile. Um, so no, I'm, I you know I think it would be naive to be surprised, but I'm just really happy for him. You know, like I, I just I, going into the season, knowing his form last year dipped quite a bit, knowing that most people wanted him gone. Um, it's it's been a revelation to kind of see him playing this well, and I know it's Brighton, I know it's you know Southampton, I know it's Newcastle, which are not world beaters, but. You know, he's just he's on a run of form that I'm I'm really just happy for him on. Yeah, it's the feel good story element of this Chelsea season. Frank Lampard being appointed, Tammy Abraham, joint top goal scorer in the Premier League, the emergence of Mason Mount, the opportunity for Reese James to start a game, William coming back into form. Now Marcus Alonso adding more goals to his Premier League stats total. These are all things that narratively did not make a lot of sense heading into the season and now they are and I think that it's just continuing to put feel-good moment on top of feel-good moment on top of feel-good moment and it's like continuing this level of ecstasy for supporters and fans and regardless of what people might see or read online about strife and people upset at one part of the Chelsea fan base at the other. I think this is just the continuation of another really positive story. And Emerson coming back and being fit is not a bad thing because that just means that they will continue to push each other to be better players, be higher contributors. And there might be matches where Emerson is better situated to be the starting player. We've seen previously, Nick, when Marcus Alonso has had to go an extended run without any ability to be subbed out or to get backup or support, that his form can dip significantly. So if anything, Frank having the option to put Emerson in and give, much like Asby needed a break, (laughs) giving someone like Marcus Alonso a break occasionally so he can continue being the third highest goal scorer for Chelsea since the start of the 2016 season. Only Pedro at 21 and William at 18 have more goals than Marcus Alonso's 16 in total, which is absolutely insane. That is not a bad thing at all. No, I, I mean, it's what we talked about with Asby earlier in the season and why I was so bullish on him regaining form and, and playing better than he was. And admittedly, he had a rough start to the year, but you look at both of these guys and you understand the center backs have changed almost every Premier League game that we've played this year. Um, the back 
line in terms of formation has changed uh, quite a bit. Um, the expectations for attacking in every match changed. You know, we it was like a 50-50 split against Liverpool that we were there for, for that one. And then, you know, today against Newcastle or yesterday against Newcastle, I should say, you know, it was like a 72-28 split. Um, the, every game presents new challenges. So these guys going out there and performing at the level that they have is, is, is encouraging. And I think Alonzo getting a bit of the Jorginho-esque love this season, Dan, has been just really, really good. You know, I, I don't like to see any Chelsea player go through – uh, you know, kind of a, a rough patch with supporters. I think that just really dampens the mood around the bridge, dampens the mood on this podcast. And, you know, hopefully, you know, his good form can continue and they can push each other uh, moving forward. Yeah, I think uh, so. The I didn't know this, but uh, thankfully our friend Nazar did tweet out what the actual chant was at the ground that was going on about Alonzo. And it was a relation to the Sunderland connection he had when he was a, a player there. And uh, Alonzo even quote tweeted the Nazar quote. So apparently it was just that you're just a sad Mac bastard was the line that was being chanted. And he tweet, tweeted it saying at Sunderland AFC with just the crying face, uh, crying laughing face emoji with it. So Alonzo de- definitely got to uh, taste the tears a little bit from the Newcastle supporters who made a very long trip to Stamford Bridge and go home with zero points to their tally, Nick. Yeah, I mean, and, and this is a good point to talk about their performance, right? Like, clearly Steve Bruce is kind of an old school guy. He set up the team defensively to, to not get anything through. And for the most part, they were pretty successful. I mean, Chelsea missed three or four nailed on goals. Um, so this, this could have been pretty ugly at the end if they would have converted, Chelsea would have converted all of our chances. But, you know, I think it's the credit to Newcastle for just understanding who they are as an identity and going out and, and playing for a really important draw against the top six team on the, on the road. I mean, it's a difficult thing to do. So, Whereas Brighton offered nothing and were, you know, we could have scored 10 in that game or, you know, Southampton offered nothing and, you know, it could have been 10 in that one. This was a much harder affair, Dan. Um, I think they played a lot more uh, uh, with more conviction, I should say. And uh, it was just, you know, kind of a scrappy win, which is is good. We need those. Yeah, they were very much drilled to almost perfection in – being a nuisance and an annoyance, whether it was Shar, whether it was uh, Lascelles, whether it was Clark, Williams, Yedlin in that back five, they were making life very difficult for Tammy Abraham. He got that elbow in the back of his head at one point that didn't get any type of call associated with it. They were playing a very, very physical, assertive game to hopefully out-muscle Chelsea in the attack to disrupt us and then quickly counter on on the response. There were a couple of dead ball opportunities for them where they tried to kind of cross it in, but there was really nothing there. Most of those were quickly claimed by Kepa or knocked out of the box. But they they wanted a point. And when you are Newcastle and you only have eight points total for the season and your form record is loss, draw, loss, win, loss uh, now with this match – and you're looking up at other teams who are not doing that, even early in the season, there has to be a concern. So I I understand why they did it. I don't admonish them for trying to play the game this way. But yeah, it made it very difficult for us in this match, and it made it some difficult viewing at times. But again, I think we talked about the theme is resiliency, and this team showed that they were capable of continuing to just wear down an opponent and eventually, you take enough shots and you put them in enough places. I mean, the Mason opportunity, if he keeps that low to the ground, that goes in, uh, not just firing it directly at the keeper. If Tammy's you know, header goes just a little lower, that's in. There, were, there was going to be a goal in this game, and I think it's just, you know, it had the feel of one of those. It's going to come late. We're going to have a few minutes of being a little concerned about, you know, if they're going to come back and get the equalizer. But ultimately, that didn't happen, and I think that's a credit to both uh, Steve Bruce for 
having an idea of how he wanted his team to play. And it's also a credit to, to Lampard and the, the team for, for seeing it through. Indeed, Dan. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, we're going to take one really quick break. But when we get back, we got to talk about our boy Christian Pulisic, who got some opportunity, got some minutes there. We want to talk about this match in the context of Frank's season, Frank's managerial era. How does that look? Some quick lightning round questions, and then we will get you out of here. But before that, a quick sponsor break. All right, well, Nick, we don't want to talk about the U.S. men's national team. We are just we're not going to do it on this podcast because are you sure? Because it's so good. No, it is bad. It is bad. It is the it's the dog. Uh, it's the gif with the dog in hell who is saying everything is fine as everything is burning around them. So we're not going to talk about that. We will talk about, though, Christian Pulisic getting an opportunity in the 64th minute to come in for Mason Mount, who had a little bit more of a muted appearance today. And ultimately, I, I just want to give the mic over to you. Talk about Christian. Talk about his performance today. Talk about his uh, hockey assist, pre-assist that he provided to uh, the buildup in the goal that ultimately gave us all three points. Yeah, I mean, I think the important context here is that Christian's had a tough go of it over the last month, um, not only with Chelsea and kind of seeing more limited playing time, but also with the national team. Uh, you know, he was at this point famously subbed out um, of a scoreless, you know, at the time draw with Canada that the U.S. ended up losing. He was visibly frustrated uh, with uh, Berhalter and and. So am I, uh, for obvious reasons. But um, Christian needs confidence really badly. Uh, I think today was an astute managerial uh, confidence booster for Christian. Uh, I think Frank's tone after the match toward him would even suggest that he's trying to build him up a little bit. And I think he went in and, and made a difference, um, most importantly. Dan, he was all over the place, you know, not always successful in his dribbles, not always successful in his passes, but causing real chaos for Newcastle, who um, had been used to kind of shepherding Mason Mount around, double-teaming him so that he couldn't make plays throughout the uh, course of the 64 minutes that he did play. Christian's a whole different uh, problem uh, for them. He has speed that probably Mason doesn't have, uh, he has really, really, really good passing ability in the final third. And generally, I think just caused, you know, my, my whole thing with him this year is just make a nuisance of yourself. You know, I think he just made a nuisance of himself, should have had a goal, should have had another assist uh, on top of his tally that somehow, um, you know, I think it was LaSalle, um, you know, broke off of Tammy and, and somehow deflected that easy tap in wide. I mean, in the in the limited thirty minutes or so that he got, I think he he made an impact, Dan, and that's all we can ask of of a guy who who admittedly doesn't seem to have the most confidence in the world. Sure, I would say that it's mostly positive. I would say that he came in, he definitely had an impact. I think he also was the beneficiary of the Kovacic substitution, whereas Barkley and Mason together is not really something I want to see much more of. I think that that is a very weak midfield grouping when you look at Jorginho, who is not the fastest, but definitely did a very good job in this game. When you look at Mason, who is a bit pacier and is able to offer some defensive responsibility, and then Barkley, who is essentially limping around after the sixth or seventh minute in the match and not able to contribute. So I think Mason struggled with that grouping, uh, that didn't put him or Barkley or even Jorginho in a very good light. When Kovacic comes in, I think that moves things up. But, you know, Mason's also been almost a starter in every single match this entire season and also needs rotation. Crazy idea, I know. And Pulisic coming in adds some of those things that you talked about, the ability to be a nuisance, the ability to get into appropriate space, the ability to set up other players, which was the the one thing where you want to be selfish and take that opportunity in front of goal, but you also look at the fact that Tammy before Lascelles just makes an amazing clearance, basically was going to be, it you know, it was guaranteed to be a goal. Um, 
yeah, I, I don't I don't fault him for that. I think that you know he's building confidence in this team and in the side and wanting to be a contributor so that he can earn more opportunities to play and to start and have minutes and hopefully become the type of winger that is one that doesn't give Chelsea the thought heading into summer of next year, thinking that they need a contributor of a higher goal tally or higher assist tally because he's capable of doing it. And I think that's the challenge that he's going to have throughout the entirety of the season is just being able to come to terms with, you know, we need to come to terms as supporters with the expectations and be very thoughtful around what those are. And then I think he needs to come to terms and, and prove that, you know, he is going to live up to what the expectations are, what his, you know, what Frank is asking him to do. And I think that's the real challenge here is that there are supporter expectations, there are player expectations, and the manager has to set the appropriate expectations for the player. And then we as supporters just need to understand that, like, none of this is within our control. It is 100% in Christian's hands. And Frank will make the appropriate decision because, oh, by the way, he's just won five games in a row for the first time in his managerial career. So maybe he has a couple good ideas about what he's doing, Nick. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's right. I, again, for, for those who think that this is just a Pulisic stand podcast, that's clearly not what this is. I think it is totally cool and, and reasonable to be – uh, excited for Christian and excited to or, or want him to succeed so badly. And it's also totally within the realm of, of reasonable expectations to say right now he's, he's not a starter for this team in, in the Premier League. He hasn't been a starter since the first few matches of the year and he will continue to grow. But for those people who were questioning his quality and, and just saying that, you know, he, he didn't have it and ended up playing the Premier League, like, God, just chill out. I mean, he's he's going to do something this year that's going to blow your mind. And, you know, I think in 30 minutes to have the possibility to have a pre-assist, a goal, and an assist, um, whereas, you know, Mason only had kind of one real chance at goal in 60-some-odd minutes, you know, I think, Christian played really well, um, and and I, I'm just happy for him. I, I know that Lampard was as well, Dan. He said, I'm really pleased for him. He's a hot topic because of his national team. Everyone has gotten carried away in the, or with the short term, but in the long term, there's a lot more to come. I'm delighted for him. He will feel good about that because he should do. And, and that's coming from uh, the boss, and I feel great about that for Christian. Well, I, uh, never – Never in the history of the world have people been more focused or gotten carried away with the short-term or short-termism for long-term. No, that's just not something that happens, Nick. I don't believe that. Yeah, well, I mean, it's – again, I think, I think this is astute management from Frank. He, he had to have seen what happened, you know, for, with Christian in the national team uh, over the international break. And not only are we short on people and Christian's a healthy, available option, uh, which – Dan, as you know, the best kind of ability is availability. Um, yep. But he's also, you know, a guy that you know I think just needs confidence, and when he has that confidence, he's going to be a weapon, and that's going to be a really, really great sign for everybody. Well, another thing to keep in mind is that he made the bench and Pedro didn't. So, you know, there are decisions that are having to be made now about how do you fit all of these players into the side, and this is another opportunity where or Christian was entrusted by Frank to get something done and he comes in and he did the job appropriately, which is going to unlock, I think about like game level achievements, right? It's going to unlock the next opportunity and the next opportunity for him. And again, we are only nine games into the Premier League season. We are still have many matches left in our group stage for the Champions League. We are in the Carabao Cup. We have FA Cup matches that will come up later this season. That is... There's plenty of opportunity for Christian to be an impact player for this team. We'll talk more about him with one of the lightning round questions we have, but we want to talk about Frank Lampard right now. We want to talk about the fact that this is the 13 competitive fixture for Chelsea under Frank Lampard in the managerial era. We've seen some results that we didn't like. Maybe United Away rings a bell. We've seen some others that we've enjoyed. Maybe the 5-2 win 
via Wolves, Nick. But where does this win, this victory rank for you among these results? Like if we're looking at this as maybe the the first kind of chapter in Frank's journey as a manager at Chelsea, is this the highest moment? Is this the high water mark? Is it second or third? Is it not ranked that high for you? What do you think? I, I think it was an important win. Don't get me wrong. Um, I don't think it's the best we've played by any means. Um, I think you would probably look at the Southampton match or the Wolves match to to really say like, oh, wow, Chelsea were, were really on their game. I mean, even against Brighton, and, and we were there for that one, Dan, you know, the team played so much better than the 2-0 result showed. You know, there were that could, that could have been 5 or 6-2. Um, so, you know, I, I would probably rank the Southampton performance um, or, or the, the Wolves performance up there. Uh, I also think, you know, if we're, if we're in the ranking business here, I think our performance against Liverpool was was really, really, really good. Um, I'm, I was so impressed with how the team fought back. I was so impressed with N'Golo Conte. I was, you know, I was just kind of over the moon about the whole deal. And even, and that was a loss um, that we definitely should have had something out of. So I think this team has played better than maybe the results have shown. And, you know, this Newcastle win is important, but it wasn't the best we played. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's the, the best that we've played, but I think in terms of continuing to show something that we need to see about this team, you know, I think we saw that in early in the season with the Super Cup victory or uh, loss, uh, but, you know, full-time victory, extra-time victory because we were able to push Liverpool to the the brink with a stitched-together side. You look at the Liverpool match, which I think you appropriately spoke about, and the fact that it was a moral victory, could have been a draw. And then you look at this match now, we're continuing to see shades of things that we didn't see in the side last season, which, you know, I think this match to me showed me something that I didn't see a lot last season, which was the ability to have resolve to break down a side that is trying to play the unstoppable force and a movable object situation. And that to me is so, so important for what it transpires the rest of the season that this to me felt like a little bit of a watershed moment where we know now and teams know that if they're going to come here and try to break us down or or try to force us to break them down because they're going to defend with seven, eight, nine, maybe even 11 players behind the ball, that it's not a winning strategy anymore. And I think establishing Stanford bridge again, as the fortress as a place where you come in and you're going to probably have to try to compete because there's no way you're going to win if you just hunker in and turtle. That to me is such a massive, massive shift because we were not there for a large part of last season. Yeah, you know, we had some terrible results, right? We had 6-0 to City. We had 4-0 to Bournemouth. And if we can shift a little bit of the mentality of this team. We can move forward in this moment and say, you can't come here and push us around anymore. That is an awesome, awesome change. And that might, that might be why I'm, I'm thinking about it structurally as a much more important victory, uh, even though it wasn't the best, you know, display of tactics or energy or most goals. I think, or I, I think that's where I'm coming from. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, that's fair. Um, Anytime we can keep a clean sheet this season, I'm not going to poo-poo it. So um, really happy about that and you know, just happy that the momentum keeps going. I think that's the key. All right. Well, let us know your thoughts. Hit us up on Discord. Hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up via email, whatever you want to do. Smoke signals, ravens, all the good things. But let's get through, Nick, here, a couple of questions. Uh, before we do that, we'll just mention five wins in a row. 16 goals scored, three goals conceded, fourth in the Premier League. That's not bad. Well, it's it's not bad when you look at kind of the form around us too, right? Chelsea are are on an upward trajectory. A lot of teams, <clears throat> Spurs, uh, are on are on a downward trajectory. Um, so I think Chelsea Chelsea need to take the opportunity in front of us. You know the 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 winnable matches uh, over the next month or so before we get to City. And uh, and really 
start to to make a, a sizable gap in uh, between us and some of our top four competitors. Uh, the season will get tougher. Uh, this, you know, there will be points of consternation as as we kind of get into the Christmas period. But uh, this is a really really good opportunity um, that you know Chelsea has to to take on and, and capitalize on. Oh, without question, I think that when you look at who we have coming up, you've got Burnley away. We get to play a struggling United in the League Cup. We get a chance to play. Watford, who may be a tough draw after watching how Tottenham really struggled against them. Uh, Crystal Palace, who've been stout defensively, but as City showed, very very capable of being beaten. West Ham, who looked like they were heading into form, but kind of dropped off. Aston Villa, Everton. This is a good run for us. It's a really, really good run. And if we can just stay healthy and stay committed to the, the process that we're going through, it can be a pretty, pretty good space for us, a really, really good run of matches. But we're going to hit into a couple of quick lightning round questions. We'll bounce it back and forth. We'll get them through here. Chase asking, temper my excitement. What is the one big flaw each of you would like to see this team fix? Seems we've solved our problems defending set pieces. Nick, what's your answer? Defending set pieces, Dan. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, look, we haven't given one up in a couple of matches, but that by no means is a uh, is a done and dusted. Well, I guess we're good there now. Um, no, there. I mean, that's a huge. It's a huge gap uh, that I still see. And um, you know, you kind of look at the the free header that um, that was scored by I forget Leal striker, but you know, those opportunities are still going to exist. So I, I would put that front and center i think that's a good call i would say that i'm going to go the opposite end i think that the finishing is still something that needs to be worked on you know when you look at the fact that we had eight shots on target and we only converted one of them this game should have been completed a lot earlier and that's you know mace's opportunity christian's opportunity tammy's opportunity i mean tammy's overperforming his expected goal. I mean, this is this was good to see a game where I think it was almost 2.8 expected goal for us, and we managed to win it 1-0. You want to see from a, a team that's going to challenge for top four, maybe even challenge for the title if Liverpool have a, you know some opportunities or problems. You want to see teams win games when the maths – suggest that they they should have won it handedly and you can kind of still force a result through but yeah i I think finishing is where i would land on this i want to you know i think we're going to concede goals which kind of takes us to our next question but i I would like to be able uh be a little bit more clinical still next question got big nash asking now that we have two clean sheets that's right for the season so far how many do you predict for the rest of the season nick um with and with a healthy goal, Conte or or what? Oh, rest of the season, so he uh, most likely gets fit at some point. I will go seven, Oof, seven more, so it would be nine total. Nine total out of thirty-eight matches. All right, I think we got a couple of cream puffs on the schedule. You know, we got your Brightons, you've got your Uniteds, you have your Tottenhams. I mean, there's there's definitely a couple on here. I mean, there, there's some tough ones though, Nick. I mean, there's your there's your Leicesters again, there's your Crystal Palaces. You know, they're, they're these top five, top six teams. You got to be really worried about. But again, those other ones, I'm gonna go. I think we end up with another ten for twelve total. I think I projected fifteen or sixteen at the start of the season, which clearly was a miscalculation in my part. But, you know, look, when you get a chance to still get to play Tottenham twice, get to play United one more time, I mean, th- those, those you just got to count those ones there, Nick. Yeah, I mean, it, and we're playing, you know, I know that we kind of base that off last year's stats and having a lot of the same pieces in place. But this team, while we had a ton of possession today, doesn't control the um, – doesn't control possession like Sarri's teams did where it was so methodical that, you know, the reason we kept that many clean sheets is because teams just couldn't get back on the ball. Um, you know, we're, we're being counterattacked this season. Um, 
And so it's, it, I think it's just a different style of play. I like it better than what we saw last year and we take it every day of the week. But, but yeah, it just doesn't leave our defenders um, with, uh, with a whole lot of options sometimes. So, um, yeah, I would, I would kind of hedge my bets and be surprised if we, if we get to 10 more. All right. Well, uh, Ganazinga, 30, asked us, said Lampard Morris have found a new way to solve the problem of conceding from corners. So set piece on the minds of everybody right now, even after we didn't allow a goal this game. By not allowing other teams to take any, how long can Chelsea maintain this tactic? Um, yeah, I mean, we kind of covered <laughs> up on that. Um, it, it will be interesting to see because we, we, we did talk about uh, set piece form, and it'll be interesting to see like if the Ruben Loftus Street comes back later in the season. We have a few more big bodies like a Rudiger, you know, these types of guys in the team that maybe we go man marking, um, and uh, and maybe that'll help solve some of it. But um, but right now, yeah, I, I don't think they've solved it. Um, you know, we've just we haven't conceded in a couple of games, which is better than what we were doing earlier in the year. Sure. Millhouse asking, so it seems to me Frank is starting to use Pulisic as a super sub. Do you think it's the best way to use him, how he's going to be used most of the games? I think we touched on this, Nick, that it's more about just game-to-game, match-to-match opportunity, and that we think he'll get he'll get his chances as long as he's continuing to prove himself. Do you have any disagreements with that? No. I mean, he'll start matches as well. I mean, we, we saw him start and play full 98 against Grimsby. We saw can play full 90s early in the season um, in the Premier League. So, yeah, I mean, it's not just a super sub, but, I mean, Frank clearly has his preferences and we'll use him as he sees fit. Smooth asking, say, I love Tamori's defensive plan. excited for future. However, there are times where his passing is somewhat suspect and downright scary. It's almost as if he is trying to make championship-level passes in the Premier League with many of his passes not weighted enough, creating needless problems in the defensive zone. Is this merely a matter of adjusting to a much faster league, or is this something we will have to learn to live with? What's your thought there, Nick? Um, I will say that Tamori over the last three games has had some pretty suspect back passes. Um, that's probably not uh, a surprise to anybody who's listening to the show, but he certainly needs to figure that out. He needs to get that out of his game. Um you know, he is still very young. He still has a ton of opportunity to improve. I think we've all been very impressed with his performances this year. But, you know, those types of silly mistakes, Dan, in the Premier League will kill you. I mean, that you're just asking to, to give away a goal uh, needlessly in those situations. So um, I really I, I hope that he is kind of working on that in training. And then, you know, we see some improvement there over the next three games or so. Well, I think we, you know, Ultimately, yes, there's something where he will have to continue to improve and level up his game. I think the contextual piece that gets lost is where you're looking at the type of situations where he's being put into, where you know there, there are times where Jorginho in the first half was passing uh, very horizontally, wasn't kind of making any type of uh, vertical passes or forward passes, and it, it would go you know, vertical, uh, it would go horizontal out to Alonzo or to Asby, or it would go back to Zuma or back to Tamori. And Jorginho was getting closed down because he didn't have a partner like Kovacic who came in for the second half and gave him the ability to win the ball back, a little bit more interchange. And I think both Zuma and Tamori in the first half definitely had some moments that were a little more suspect. And I think that's more just about what was happening in front of them that became a little bit more challenging and obviously trying to deal with the speed of uh, Almiron and then also uh, St. Maximilian, who were definitely moving the ball quickly upfield, making incisive runs, being a little bit more challenging. I think there is a level of adaption that needs to occur, but I think it's also as the team continues to regain health, as we get our best starting 11 out there, I think that will add a lot more confidence to Tomori's game as well, where he is not, much like Zuma, getting stressed to move the ball out as quickly because I think that was where, and I don't know if you agree or disagree, but that's where I felt like I was seeing him struggle is you know he, in addition to Jorginho, in addition to Zuma, were all getting really, really challenged with having to make some quick passes, getting pushed back a little too deep in that first half. But I didn't see that in the second half when Kovacic came on. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's probably right. The 
you know, I, I don't think there's a whole lot of comparison between Kovacic and Barkley in terms of being able to get no? on the ball and uh, transition the ball forward and, and stuff like that. Ross wants to carry it. Kovacic wants to pass it. Um, Ross is, is more dangerous in front of goal, obviously, but Kovacic is much more dangerous in creating his own space with the ball. And all of this means kind of what you're talking about, that there's a legitimate pressure release valve in Kovacic whenever they get the ball forward rather than having to, you know, dink and dunk uh, between, you know, kind of the center backs and, and Jorginho. So, I mean, it's a good shout. It, there's also just some sloppiness in there, Dan, that needs to be cleaned up. And, 100%. You know, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I think it's it's okay to say that there's a context around it, but it's okay to say at the same time, crazy that you have two independent thoughts that connect with one another that he needs to improve certain aspects that you are still supportive, but you're asking for him to do more, which I'm sure is what Frank Lampard is doing right now. Maybe not today, but as they go through training and then last question from a friend, Ardale Hale, who we had a chance to see in London, which was always exceptional. Upcoming games come quick Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Yep, that's your life, guys. Make sure that you have your doctor's notes, your conference rooms booked, whatever you need to do to make sure that you can watch those midweek matches. Do we start to see some consistent pairings up front uh, with our upfront players? What pairings play best together? Nick, give me your best front three slash four right now because of the way we're playing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think just based on form, like obviously Tammy's in there. Um, I would like to see Cal and william play a little bit more but i think the problem with those two is that like i i think william on the right is not as effective as william on the left or in the middle so you know then then you're kind of looking at like does pulisic who you know can play on the right pretty effectively become an option you know i know that william's form has been really good um but you know you're kind of looking at like strengths and weaknesses there so that that'll be really interesting to see they'd still prefer William at this point. Um, and then, you know, Mount, uh, Mason Mount, obviously kind of getting forward would be kind of that, you know, fourth option, I guess, Dan. But that's probably the one that I think makes the most sense unless Callum isn't like fully ready for that slate of matches. And then I think there's a little bit more rotation. I would concur. So if you have a different thought, let us know. Tweet at us. Give us some feedback. We'd love to hear what's your best front four at the moment. I think the stats are going to prove out to have a pretty similar one for everyone. But there might be some preferences out there that we're not considering. So Dan, the match, man, the match poll. No surprise, Nick. Hudson Adoy with 63% of the vote. Jorginho in second place with 28%. William with six and Zuma at 2%. Uh, it had to be Callum. Had to be. All right. Well, league table as it stands, we are recording uh, just a few minutes into the match between the league leaders, Liverpool and Manchester United. It is still nil-nil, but uh, you know, hopefully Manchester United can continue to be a giant killer from the basement of the Premier League this season, Nick. But Liverpool, first place, 24 points. Manchester City winning yesterday, 19. We are behind Leicester City, who have a better goal difference on 17 points. We have a plus five, so we are getting there. Arsenal have not played yet either. Hopefully Sheffield United can do us a favor. Arsenal sitting at 15 points. Crystal Palace at 14. Tottenham at 12, continuing their fun run of form. And Nick, I just can't wait to watch the all-or-nothing or the nothing Spurs nineteen twenty season that is going to be coming of a, a wonderful docu-series uh, next year. Boy, did Chelsea fans have fun with that. Um, <laughs> uh, that was, man, all or nothing. You know, my, my thought, Dan, and I know that you're an Amazon employee, so you, you might not be able to comment on this, would be, um, would be that, you know, Amazon's had a pretty good run of it with success. So they really wanted to show the other side. You know, they wanted to be as objective as they could and show what losing feels like. And, um, and they picked the right team to do it. You know, I think, I think they were smart. There. Well, they, they did the, the Leeds Leeds United docu-series where they do not make it into the Premier League. So maybe this will be the inverse of that is where a team somehow happens to fall out of the Premier League, though they might've <laughs> wanted to choose Manchester United instead of Tottenham. Imagine just like how funny would it be and I, I say this as a team that in the last five to six seasons had to consider relegation themselves. Um, 
not like it was ever serious, but more the fact that like just mathematically it was a possibility. How funny would it be if the Tottenham Stadium became the biggest and best championship stadium in all on all of the, uh, on all of Great Britain? That would just be so perfect. It's like the ESPN. Like, what if I told you? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, uh, the, yeah. It's it's all fun. Um, I'm focused on Chelsea. Um, I hope you guys are too. All right. Well, Nick, any final thoughts before we get it out of here? Uh, no, I have no final thoughts. I have no thoughts whatsoever. As you can tell. All right. Well, we want to uh, do one last shout out, though, thanking the Chelsea women for continuing their amazing form, winning 3 nothing today. Bethany England with the brace, Drew Spence with a goal as well. So, again, those games are all watchable via the, uh, the player, the online player that they have. So keep an eye on the Chelsea women. They're doing amazing things as well. Chelsea U team's doing immensely well this weekend, as uh, um, over the weekend as well. So keep that in mind, too. But Chelsea fans, we're out. We've got a midweek match, so we will be back later with more podcast action. Brandon will be back too, which you may enjoy. I don't know. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep that blue flag flying high.